Hey, it's Stu at Bitcoin Fi, and I'm here to release part two of my interview with Grayson Sharp. This part delves more into the world of non-fungible tokens, just kind of a primer on NFTs. So hopefully it kind of makes sense, the use case of NFTs, which to me and a lot of people in crypto and outside of crypto seems like a hammer that's looking for a nail. It's a solution that's looking for a problem. And Grayson's able to articulate some of the problems that NFTs can be the solution for. So hopefully you find that pretty interesting. This is not the main focus of my podcast, but I just know that Grayson is very deep into this. And and NFTs and stuff like this is some of the more recent headlines that are kind of drawing people into crypto in general. So it's definitely good to go over all of the pieces of Bitcoin, crypto, and the whole ecosystem. Um, hopefully you're hanging in there. Markets have been rough lately. I'll plan to have a few more episodes coming out, trying to explain a little bit of what's going on in my perspective of the market, what I'm doing, and why some things are happening the way they are. So hopefully you enjoy this interview. Let me know what you think. If you have any feedback, feel free to leave me a voicemail or send me an email through my website. And let me know if you want more interviews or if you prefer the solo episodes, and I'll try to accommodate those or answer any questions you have. And with that said, we'll jump right into the interview. So we wanted to also talk about NFTs. And I think most people have been seeing the headlines, but NFTs stands for non-fungible token. It's uh, basically a way that on a blockchain that you can prove that you own something, even if it is a JPEG that you can, you know, right-click save image. <laughs> but you don't own that image. I guess it's kind of like the idea behind it is you can go to the museum in France and see the Mona Lisa, right? And take a picture of it, but it's still not the painting. And it's not worth anything. The picture's not worth anything. If anything, the fact that you can sit, take a picture of it and that everyone knows about the Mona Lisa, that's what gives it its value. So I guess that's one way to think about NFTs and, and JPEGs. Like, yeah, everyone can right-click save that JPEG, that picture and or that meme, and it gets circulated, but only one person can own it something like that right yeah correct a non-fungible token it's one of a kind it's non-fungible and i think it's important to start there what's the difference between fungible and non-fungible if you have a dollar you can simply exchange that for four quarters that's fungible four quarters is a different material than a dollar bill but at the end of the day it's still a dollar, whether it's in quarters or not. That's fungible. And with fungibility, even like if I had a dollar bill, you had one of those fresh ones from the bank and I've got one that's like ripped and tattered and uh, someone drew a mustache on, you know, <laughs> someone drew a mustache <laughs> on the face. It still works. You know, I can still trade you that pristine dollar for this ratty dollar. So that's you know, just another way. The quarters works too. Um, so does this tattered dollar, right? Yeah. Whereas non-fungible is, that would not work because each piece is, is unique and it's, it's its own. So non-fungible means you can't do that because an old dollar bill with Sharpie marks on it is obviously not as cool as a pristine new minted dollar bill. They're different. That's what NFTs are. They are all different because they have a different address to them. Each address is unique. It's not the same. 
Okay. And so to give a background on how I got into NFTs, I first want to talk about virtual ecosystems because it's important to understand this as well. And in second grade, I became involved with the virtual ecosystem by playing RuneScape, which included coins, also known as gold pieces. As a result, virtual currency is inherently easy for me to understand, as is the case for most of my generation. Within these virtual realms came about digital assets or rare items or collectibles that were released in limited quantities. Due to their scarcity, they have forever retained their value. For example, blue party hats are a discontinued item in RuneScape, only obtainable from opening Christmas crackers, which were released in the 2001 Christmas event. They can no longer be obtained except through peer-to-peer -peer transactions with another player that already has one. Early adoption and purchasers of these rare items in any virtual ecosystem inevitably see rising prices and popularity, like we have seen with the blue party hats from RuneScape. Before one considers investing in Bitcoin and other scarce digital assets, in this case NFTs, they must trust the nature of virtual ecosystems that are very much alive. There's cultures built behind them, there are communities, these are actual rare digital assets that shouldn't be overlooked. And that's why I love NFTs, because once on the blockchain, always on the blockchain. And if you have that in your wallet, it's actually worth something. And you can exchange it for Ethereum, Bitcoin. You could sell it for cryptocurrency. Okay. <clears throat> I like the comparison to, you know, RuneScape and and that's uh, you know like a, a game that people play. Um, I know people that have played it, right? I've never played it, but that makes sense to me. If I was going to tie it to the physical world, I'd say it's um, more like seashells, right? Like we can trade seashells, but no two seashells are really that. You know, they're not identical. So that's the non-fungibility. So it have to be like, oh, I want that one versus you want this one. Um, but it's never really an equal trade. It's more subjective, right? The value. Correct. Based right. on the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, or, or similarly, like Pokemon cards is my, maybe a good example, like a holographic Charizard versus a non-holographic Charizard, something like that. Um, but, I, you know, I think those are two good ways to visualize it. So when it comes to NFTs, where and how do you buy them? Yeah, that's a great question. It depends what blockchain you want to buy them on. On the Ethereum network, by far the most popular NFT marketplace is called OpenSea.io. And there you can purchase, sell, mint NFTs. On other blockchains, for example, on the ICP blockchain, since I work closely with Tonic Labs, one of our services is called Entrepot.app. There, it's the largest, most trusted NFT marketplace. All you need is some ICP and you can easily buy any NFTs you want on the ICP blockchain. So what prevents a JPEG or an image from being put on the ICP blockchain and also the Ethereum blockchain? You can easily tell it's, it's a scam. You know, you have to avoid bad actors like that because there are a ton of scammers out there. 
And what they do is try to create fake replicas. Okay. Yeah, but you can easily tell that it's a fake. It obviously has a different address than the real collection. It's not the real deal. Okay. Well, I, I guess, and in, in is it any way connected to, we'll just, you know, whether ICP or, or OpenSea, let's, let's just say that OpenSea, um, like that company blew up and was no longer a thing, right? Would you still own those NFTs, even though the OpenSea company is not there? Correct, because the assets are stored in a non-custodial wallet. Same thing with Entrepot, right? That's one of our services. You can buy and sell any ICP-related NFTs, but at the end of the day, it's stored in your blockchain wallet, which in most cases is non-custodial. So even if that company were to go out, go out of business, you would still own those blockchain-based NFTs. Okay, okay. That's making more sense to me. I, I always was wondering about that and how that worked. So, okay. So do you think everyone should buy NFTs or like who are NFTs for? NFTs are for so many different types of people. I myself am a collector. I believe in these types of virtual ecosystems, especially the OG players. That's why you'll see CryptoPunks. They are arguably the most popular NFT, rarest NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain. It's because they were OG players. They were the first to initiate this type of collectible item on the Ethereum blockchain. And I am a huge believer in culture. Price action varies. It changes day by day. But in the long term, I do believe these are collectibles. Yeah, I guess one way people have been talking about it is like a modern day flex it's like it used to be a rolex but now it's a nft right yeah modern day flex that's a great way to put it i also believe that there are so many terrible projects out there people who are only initiating nft projects for a quick cash grab that's something to be wary about i would say 80 percent of arguably and this isn't this is not a statistic it's something my heart tells me that 80 percent of nfts are a trap more or less they're doing it for a cash grab you have to be careful with which nft project you get into because there are like we stated earlier bad actors in the space there are a ton of nft projects that really don't have a roadmap they don't have a vision once you mint their particular nft they kind of go dry on you there's no real community behind it so you have to be careful um but I, I, I love the future use cases of it. There's a company called Royal.io and they're partnering with musicians. What's happening is that musicians are selling parts of their album or they're selling EPs or single hits as NFTs. And if you are a holder of such an NFT, you're also entitled to 50% of their streaming royalties, whether that comes from Spotify, Pandora, YouTube. So not only are you collecting passive income by holding that musician's NFT, but if that musician blows up and they become famous, successful, inherently that base price will go up too because there's only a limited amount of nfts so imagine coldplay as a way to raise funds back in the day imagine them releasing a thousand nfts right when coldplay first started as a way to 
raise awareness and funds. Had you kept on to a cold plan FT, just imagine how much it would be worth now, right? Plus yeah. receiving a little bit of streaming royalties from whatever song. Another fun use case of NFTs is a business use case. For example, SaaS companies, software as a service. Imagine companies like Adobe, had they first started, imagine them releasing NFTs where maybe only a thousand were released, but each NFT holder had a lifetime subscription of that service. So if you hold Adobe's NFT, you get their whole suite for free. Every single program, you don't have to pay any monthly subscription service, no fees. And right, that would be sweet having an OG Adobe NFT. And then obviously that base price would shoot up as well. So there's a lot of business use cases. It's a great way for musicians to raise awareness, raise money while still supporting the community. Yeah, I can see... Um, and that's probably where I see like the most utility right now or one of the areas, but basically similar to like DeFi is kind of cutting out banks as a middleman. NFTs can cut out record labels as a middleman for musicians so that musicians can go right to the people instead of to a record label and then to the people. And it's all just on the blockchain. And you also made it sound interesting with, um, you know, maybe you can buy like a fractional share of a song. So yeah, maybe Coldplay comes out with a song and you can own like one one thousandth of it. And so you get one one thousandth of the royalty. So it's kind of like owning stock in a song or a share of a song. That's a, that's a really interesting concept there. So yeah, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. So NFTs are for sure not to be overlooked. There's a lot of exciting development behind them. Yeah, and I, I haven't really looked into this, but I, I thought I saw someone do like an NFT mortgage somehow. I don't, I'd have to read the article because I saw it and I was just like, oh man, uh, this is getting <laughs> crazy. Yeah, well, imagine traditionally speaking too, right? If you want to buy or sell a business, there are there is so much paperwork involved. Imagine wrapping everything up into an NFT the front end, the back end, the domains, usernames, passwords. What if it was every single piece of a business you ended up putting into a singular NFT and transferring that from one address to another? Because traditionally speaking, to purchase a business, it's a lengthy thought out process that can take a while. But that's that's a really, so go ahead. And, and the simplicity of an NFT, if you were able to create that as a single NFT and transfer it from one address to another, how easy is that? Yeah, that's a really interesting um, way of putting it. Or even like um, like a segment of your business, like, uh, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, Berkshire Hathaway has you know, multiple, they have insurance companies, they have Seize Candy, they have Dairy Queen. Like if they wanted to sell off a piece and they could do it through a protocol instead of having a business broker. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty interesting use case there. Yeah. I, I would say that the year of 2021 brought to light INO's initial NFT offerings. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? A few years ago, it was ICOs. Yeah. Initial cryptocurrency offerings. If anything, what we've been seeing lately with NFTs is a great way to raise funds 
for a certain objective or mission. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that correlation there. And I, we're even kind of touching on DAOs, DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. I've heard that that might be the future of how you set up a company. Um, instead of stocks, you have a, a DAO or something like that. But pretty crazy. So from the standpoint of a creator, like why would you mint NFTs? What's, what's the benefit of minting NFTs? That's a great question. So as a digital artist or an artist in general, traditionally when you paint a famous well-known piece, it's a one-time purchase. Somebody makes a bid, they acquire the piece from you and that's it. When it comes to NFTs, you can mint a collection that has your choosing of quantity, whether it's a 10-piece collection, 20-piece collection, 50-piece collection. Now, they may all be different from each other or have different rarity attributes, different style to them, but you're in charge of how many pieces you create as an artist. Even if it's a one-off NFT piece you create, what's cool about this is if people buy that NFT from you, forever you'll get royalties because on the secondary marketplace like OpenSea or Entrepot or whatever NFT marketplace it is, if that NFT down the road gets sold, there's a creator's fee involved. So as an artist, you'll forever have royalties from it because every time it's bought and sold, you get that creator's fee ranging from 1% to 3%, it varies. And you, you get to set that, which is the nice part. And so it's royalty for your future posterity, for you. It's not just a one-time purchase. Yeah, I know I saw one person. So this person was a meme, right? Basically, like when they were a kid, I think they were turned into a meme, like that picture. And they actually minted their meme. And I think they sold it for a few hundred thousand with a 10% royalty. So uh, if you want to own memes, you, you can, in theory. And uh, that's pretty interesting use case there. Yeah. So now and, and they're making off the royalties that come from it. Yeah, not, it's not just one and done because you can code in these future transaction fees whenever it changes hands again, you know, 10% or 5% comes back to me. And so if it ends up switching 20 times over the next few years, you're, you're still um, benefiting. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Also, I was going to say with NFTs, there's a bunch of airdrops. So sometimes what happens is if you own an NFT, you'll get future airdrops. What that means is you'll get additional NFTs or an airdrop of a certain amount of tokens. So sometimes they're incentives. Um, by holding an NFT, you get future airdrops. Okay, so you can just kind of get some free money or additional pieces of a collection or sometimes isn't it like you have a chance to win something in the next airdrop yeah correct other times projects say that 50 percent of all royalties from this nft collection directly go to the holders so it's a little bit of a passive income too okay that's pretty cool is there any collections that you've ever looked at seriously I have two favorite collections. They're both based on the ICP. One is called Poked Bots, and the other is called BTC Flower. 
they both have risen heavily in price. So thus far, they've been a great investment, but more so I love the community. I love the roadmap. I love the story they both portray. In terms of the poked bots, which in essence are little robots, the artist and creator, John Ball, he has a future roadmap he is working on, whether it's an animation series or a game. He keeps us updated constantly. It's a phenomenal project. And so personally, I'm a big fan of Poked Bots and the BTC Flower. Okay, interesting. It sounds crazy. It's, it's pretty funny, but, but yeah, people make serious money off this stuff. So what's BTC Flower all about? What do you like about that collection? The BTC flower has an actual story behind it. There is a famous Paris-based artist who back in the day created a large Bitcoin art that would later become the most iconic street art in crypto history. There's a photo of it here. Using the same theme of BTC blooming from the remnants of a failed fiat system, his generative art collection emerges as a BTC flower. So in essence, there are 2009 Bitcoin flowers on the ICP ecosystem. And it's cool because each flower has a tombstone that says RIP, USD, the Euro, etc. It's all of these different fiat systems that are dying off. And so there's a, there's a whole movement on it, especially in the ICP ecosystem. It's an iconic art piece. You know, he's partnered with PSG before, the famous soccer team. And his art is only growing. And so because he is an actual artist, he's turned his physical art pieces into NFTs that are, of course, limited. And they're worth quite a bit of money now. So, yeah, give me an idea. of what, What's the price? They sold out, I would say, in about 20 seconds. So it was really fast but you were able to mint them for five ICP. Now the floor price is at 300 ICP. Okay. For the most basic Bitcoin flower. That goes to show the popularity in such NFT collections. Price action always change. For us, it doesn't really matter about the price. I'm a long-term holder and kind of my exit strategy or philosophy behind when to sell NFTs is actually based on the total market cap of that particular blockchain, right? Because the theory there is as the blockchain continues to grow, so will money get liquidated into these NFTs, right? There's a lot getting injected into the NFT ecosystem as a whole. And the theory is the more people become aware of NFTs and the blockchain technology and how these are legitimate art pieces just in digital format, the hope is that it will continue to grow and uh, become valuable art collections. Cool. That sounds pretty interesting. I'll have to hop on and, you know, I'll Google this and try and see what I can figure out. This is pretty interesting. I can't imagine really selling. I, I would imagine the taxes are pretty difficult to work out sometimes, but who knows? So oh, yeah. I'm a little bit scared. I mean, I'm, I'm still young enough. I don't have too much invested into it. <laughs> so I'm sure the implications won't hurt me too much. But yeah, that's it's the Wild West when it comes to NFTs. We'll see how that pans out in terms of taxes. <laughs> yeah, it's the same with DeFi too, right? Like the taxes can be, I don't know, like impossible, basically. Like how do you even keep track of what, you know, how do you keep track of everything? 
if you use yeah. like so many different types of protocols and different addresses, different wallets. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely going to be some interesting developments probably in the, you know, regulation. I don't know how the IRS is going to manage it. It sounds like they're so far behind already on like normal stuff because of COVID. Uh, they're like two years behind on returns. And uh, yeah, as far as like figuring out what they're going to do for this stuff, it's, uh, it's crazy. <laughs> no, I agree. So a couple final questions, I guess, what coins, what cryptocurrencies are you the most excited about? Easily, hands down, ICP. If, even though the price has tanked since the Genesis launch, I'm a huge believer in the ICP ecosystem. It's biased since I'm employed by a project building on the ICP blockchain. It's what I do for work. But I feel like there's a lot of innovation, especially with the BTC integration coming up. In my opinion, it's always best to buy an asset at its dip. Currently, ICP is there. It's the lowest it's ever been. ICP is one to keep on the radar. As we spoke earlier, HNT is a fun asset, not necessarily to invest into, but maybe investing in the idea of deploying the actual miners to earn it. I would say the classics like BTC, if you can buy that at a dip, a lot of me is hoping that the whole cryptocurrency realm as a whole will go down, go down, go down. So we could buy a cryptocurrency at a dip. Um, yeah, my top coin that I always invest into is BTC. So on the ICP blockchain, DeFi functionality is still in the works. It's very, very new. So what you're about to see is a lot of alternative coins being built on the ICP blockchain. That's something to look into as well. But all in all, I'm pretty selective with what, what types of coins I invest into. But right now, I would say most of my holdings are a part of the ICP ecosystem. Gotcha. And who do you like to follow or learn from? Who do you go to to learn? I follow a ton of people on Twitter primarily, people who are part of the ICP ecosystem. Shout out to Bob Bodily, B-O-B-B-O-D-I-L-Y. You'll learn a lot from him. He posts a ton of news and insights into the Ethereum community, plus the ICP community. He's a great person to follow. Yeah, okay. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll make sure to link him in the show notes. And uh, what's the best place for people to reach out to you? Yeah, the best place to reach out to me is via my Twitter at HQ. There I post mm -hmm. a plethora of different videos I'm helping Tonic Labs build out. And so I'm always active on that channel. And so that's one thing, I guess we'll just put another little plug, but you're a pretty talented video editor, right? Yes, I'm still learning a ton. Not the best, but I'm still learning. And so I was fortunate enough to have voluntarily made videos for a variety of different projects of the ICP community. Earlier on, I would say probably half a year ago, voluntarily making videos and then one thing led to another, connections were made and I was offered a six month contract with Tonic Labs. So currently I'm working with them, helping with general marketing needs, such as video production. That's awesome. Pretty cool. Thanks for coming on the show, Grayson. It was great learning from you. And uh, I'll make sure everyone knows how to get in touch with you. 
Stu, Mr. Stu, you are the man. I just want everyone to know that crypto assets are a real thing. Go down the rabbit hole, have fun with it, spend an hour or two, even if it's per week, to learn more about the atmosphere. Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever blockchain it may be, this is the future. If we are this excited about it, imagine my great-grandchildren, imagine my children, right? If day in and day out, they hear how passionate their father is, it's going to be a trend. And what we are going to see is a higher market cap that may even outrank ETFs, that may even outrank other assets. So this is something to keep on your radar. It's fun to learn about DeFi, NFTs, and cryptocurrency in general. Uh, so Mr. Stu, thank you so much for having me on here. Really excited for the future of this realm. Thank you. I, I totally agree. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Bitcoin and Financial Independence Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you stuck around this long, you probably did. So if you wouldn't mind leaving a review, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, if you haven't yet gotten into Bitcoin or you have some interest in it, now is a pretty good time as things have dipped quite a bit. This is a pretty good buying opportunity. There's a lot of fear in the market. And the old Warren Buffett axiom comes into play that you should be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. Remember, financial independence is doable, and I'll be back with you soon.